The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. The Gospel writer John, the Apostle John, tells us a story this morning that, of course, rings in our ears the story of creation. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning... God was there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creating. Creating a universe, creating a world, creating the Garden of Eden, creating every living thing that moves and breathes, and creating Adam and Eve. In the beginning, God was there, creating everything. Everything for humanity. The reason why God created the world built a garden and placed man into the garden was for man. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it. Exercise dominion over it. This is for you. You may eat every fruit from every tree that comes from the garden, but for that one tree, this is all for you. Occasionally the question comes up, why did God do it? Why did he do it? Why did he create everything in the first place? Why did he create Mankind in the first place, especially, especially, it's often noted, especially since he knew what would happen. It was no mystery to him. God knows everything. He knows what will come, and he knows what man will do. And so, the question is, why did he do it? Why did he create mankind in the beginning? Why, in the beginning, with the word, who was God, did God breathe life into Adam and Eve? The answer to that question is the simple answer that governs everything we think and say and do here in the church and in the rest of our lives as Christians. The answer to that question is very simple. 
He did it for love. God created everything, the world and everything that's in it. He did it for love. Why did he create man? So that he could love him. Why did he create you and me? So that he could love us. It is out of pure graciousness. He owed nothing to us. He did not need us. It is not for his sake that he created us. It is so that he could love us, so that he could give to us every good thing. It was so that he could give to Adam and Eve every gift imaginable, every blessing, every blessing that God could imagine he was planning to give to them. He did it for love. The closest analogy that we have to this, of course, fits very well with the description of God as Father. Why does God create? Well, he creates for the very same reason that parents long to become parents. Because in a child, there is another to love. It is the fruit of love, and it is someone to whom you may show love. Someone once said that the birth of a child or having a child is the biggest investment in a future that you cannot control. And I think that that is, in some sense, dreadfully true in this life. Having a child is the biggest investment in a future you cannot control, but why do it anyways? Why do parents have children? It is so that they have someone to love. The fruit of love and the object of love are in the one who is created, and in fact it's a miraculous thing that in childbearing, in parenthood, humanity shares in this fundamental work of God. They create alongside God, they cooperate with God in this act of creation. Why did God do it? Why did he make everything? Why was he there in the beginning? It was for love. Now it's important to note that in the beginning, of course, especially when there was nothing, it was in some sense neither good nor bad. There was nothing detestable about that nothingness. The earth was formless and void, but God was there, and so it was perfect. It was a perfect formlessness and a perfect void. And when God took man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, there was nothing wrong with him. There was nothing false or sinful. There was nothing wicked or evil. It was only goodness. God's created goodness. And so the love that he showed by breathing life into Adam and Eve was a certain kind of love, a love that creates from nothing. Not even dealing with a blank slate, but creating the goodness that God would have. Creating what is lovable from nothing. Something very different happens, though, as the story goes on. Because, of course, you know how things proceed in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve take the breath of life that God has given them, and they misuse it. They take the good gifts that God has given them in the Garden of Eden, and they abuse them. In their pride... In their selfishness, they reach out and take what does not belong to them, what God did not want to give to them because it was not good for them. In fact, they doubt whether or not God means to give them good things. They think maybe he's holding something back. Maybe he, who did not need to create them, but created them solely so that he could love them, maybe he is actually conspiring against them. They listen to the lies of the serpent, and the results have been catastrophic ever since. No longer, no longer is there something that is merely neutral, neither good nor bad. No longer is there simply nothing or something that was made out of nothing. But now, there is nothing good. Everything has become corrupt. This earth and everyone in it has been corrupted by sin. We have become unlovable. 
worse than nothing. Jesus, in fact, says about those who perpetrate certain kinds of wickedness, it would be better for them had they never been born. What a terrible state. What a terrible state for us to be in. How far we have fallen from goodness given by God in love to enemies of God. No longer his children, but alienated, lost, destined for the grave, destined for worse than the grave, destined for eternal punishment in hell. This then frames what happens in our gospel in a completely different light. Because, of course, the question may be raised yet again, why did God do it? Why, having once given his word to this world and loved the world by creating all that you see and you and me, having done that once, why would he do it again? Having loved and lost that love, why would he go on loving It's an amazing thing to see what great love God has for us, the depths of his graciousness. For it is no longer like picking up a bunch of dust and breathing into it the breath of life, but now it is picking up something grotesque, something putrid, something rotting, and breathing the breath of life into it. Now, for God to come and be near to us, what is involved is something far more dramatic than walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, he must take on human flesh and walk to the cross and suffer and die. Had there been any doubt, had there really been any doubt about God's graciousness and his love toward Adam and Eve, there cannot, there simply cannot be any further doubt at this point. See what great love God has for you and me in this, that in order to recreate everything that he once created, in order to restore everything that has been lost, in order to breathe new life into you and me, he did this. The word became flesh. God, who has no flesh, who has no reason to suffer, who has no reason to give us anything but for his own love, he took on flesh. And there Jesus was found in the manger, humble and lowly. Think about what that means. For God, the most powerful omniscient, all-seeing God, almighty, worthy of all honor and praise for him to place himself into a manger, into a bed of straw, completely dependent on a woman, on a mother, to care for him, to protect him, to feed him, to nurture him. What does that mean for God to do that? For him to bring himself so low, to put off his divinity, to set it aside for a time so that he can be humble so that he can be vulnerable, so that he can risk suffering and death. Why would he do that? Why would he place himself in that position? It is for the same reason that he began everything in the first place, and even more so, it is for love. Somehow, in God's heart, there is love beyond comprehension. There is a limit to the way that you and I love. There is a limit to our graciousness. We run up against a wall. We cannot extend any more love. We find ourselves troubled and hurt and wounded in our vulnerability, and so we find ourselves against a limit. We cannot love more. But God's love is limitless, bottomless. Like that jar of oil that never ran dry that that Elijah provided for the widow in Zarephath, God's love never runs dry. Try and plumb the depths of it. Try to search out the depths of it. 
See how deep his love is for you. If you want to measure something in this world, if you want to in, uh, undertake an adventure to see what you might discover, try to discover the depths of God's love. Look in his word. Look into your heart. See what's there in your heart and recognize what great things God has done for you. Beyond imagination, beyond anything that you deserve, beyond what this world could conceive of. The word became flesh. He humbled himself and was laid in a manger, and he dwelt among us. Not taking on human flesh just for a moment, just to solve a quick problem, but taking on human flesh forever. This is one of the miracles of the incarnation and the story of redemption is that Jesus became man and he did not stop being man. But in his ascension, he goes to the right hand of God and there our humanity sits in the kingdom of God forever. He takes on human flesh because he loves us for eternity, not just for a moment, not just to fix us for a moment, but that we might dwell with him forever. He has come to dwell with us. That's why we have this kind of strange reading on Christmas Day from Exodus about the tabernacle. There, God, as he was preparing the way for Jesus, dwelt among his people in a cloud of glory and in fire, and Moses could not approach him. All of that was preparing the way for Christ to come and dwell with us forever, not in glory that stuns us, not in a fire that terrifies us, not in a way that we may not approach, but humble and lowly, so that even shepherds, so that even shepherds and wise men from the east can come and visit him and be near to their God. What an amazing thing it is that God has come to dwell among us, to breathe life again into you and me, to breathe life into those who are detestable, to breathe life into those who are rotten and deserve to be laid in the grave. Indeed, we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why did God create everything in the beginning? It was a manifestation of his glory, and his glory is to love. His glory is to show mercy. Why does God come now? Why does God come now in the flesh to redeem you and me? It is because his glory is to love. Hold fast, always to that love. That love which condescends, which humbles itself. That love which sacrifices everything, which holds nothing back. Which gives everything that he's got so that you might live so that you can have the life that belongs to him, so that you might become children of God and heirs of everything that belongs to him in heaven, so that one day, yet though you die, you shall live, that one day you can dwell with him in his glory. Give him praise and honor, not just today, but every day. Do not take your eyes off that babe that was born in Bethlehem. Do not take your eyes off him as he makes his way to the cross, See in every move that he makes, as he breathes his last, see his love for you. That breath that he breathes on the cross, breathing his last, humbling himself to be forsaken, or seeming to be forsaken even by his heavenly Father, see how that breath, that breath, is your breath of life. That is how he recreates all of us. That is how he shows his love to us. Hold fast to him, not just on Christmas, but every day of the year, every waking moment of your life, 
This is your hope, that God, that our God, is a God who loves. To him alone be glory, now and forever. Amen.